Okay, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining for the class. It's always so special to get together with everyone. <clears throat> Talk a little bit about growth, about being better Jews. And I feel that this is a very, very real put us to work type of class, which I think might be the best type. I think we could all use a little bit of that push and guidance where to apply ourselves. Before we begin, today's class has been sponsored first by Gila, Sherry, and Sora from Los Angeles. And I'm going to read to you the note that came along with the sponsorship because I have no other way to say what they're saying other than to read it. Anything else will be awkward for me, as you will see. But it's a very, very sweet note. And here it goes. We'd like to sponsor this shir as a zchus for Rabbi Nisan and his family. In these times of uncertainty, you uplift our week with joy and optimism. So thank you so much for that sponsorship. And thank you so much for appreciating the shir, the class, the thoughts, and joining together with us. It's really, really, really special to me that you appreciate that. And thank you for expressing that, really. I, of course, feel that I gained the most from this class. I don't feel that. I know that to be true. But I'm happy that, that you feel and that everyone feels that there's something worthwhile that we could do together. Thank you so much for that sponsorship. As well, this class has also been sponsored by Rabbi and Mrs. Nussan Framowitz, Le'ilu Nishmas Shmuel Meir Ben Menashe Ephraim, whose yard site is actually today. May his neshama have an aliyah mechayel lechayel. Thank you so much for sponsoring and giving him that great merit. Appreciate that. Okay, <coughs> here we go. Let's just give a little bit of a touch of the parsha so we know where it's going to take us. Because it's going to take us onto the battlefield, my friends, deep into the trenches, and we have work to do. Kairach. This parsha is called Kairach because the character in this parsha is a man by the name of Kairach. However, this was no simple man. This was a great individual. An unbelievably holy, lofty, spiritual man. Somebody who we will not touch their toes in our entire life. At least when they were riding high and strong. But when you read the story of Kairach, what you actually see transpire is something that usually makes your skin crawl as you're reading it. Because Kairach gets up and he gathers around him 250, not just people of the Jews, but the Pasuk goes out of the way to say leaders of the Jewish people. So Kairach, this great individual, gathers with him 250 other great Jews and they begin an assault on their leadership of Moshe and Aaron. Not just an argument, but all the way till they begin to deny that what Moshe is communicating to the Jewish people is actually from God. I mean, I don't want to be the one to label that heresy. I don't know. I didn't see if they labeled it that. But in our 13 principles of faith, that Moshe is a true prophet is one of them. What happened? How could this be? How could you have Korach? I'm telling you, he is a great man. 250 people, I'm telling you, not me, the Pasuk says they were great men. And now they're getting up and they're denying one of the 13 principles of faith. They're saying Moshe is a phony. They're saying that the leadership that he gave to Aaron to be the high priest was a fraud. He was just working the system. They say that the stripping of the firstborns of their rights to serve in the temple and giving it away was not accurate. Giving it to the Levium 
was not accurate. Our rabbis tell us that there was a root here. Something motivated this horrendous event. Kairach was great. In fact, Kairach was so great that he had a unique position that was being ready to be offered to him to be the high Levite, the high Levi, the Levi Godel. But that position was retired when Kairach fell off the track because no one else was worthy. So he was really great. Gets into this argument. What happened? Our rabbis tell us that what happened here is that when Kairach's cousin was appointed to be the head of the tribe of Kahas, and when Aaron was chosen to be the high priest, that these positions were positions that Korach wanted for himself. And that he felt in all of his greatness, and uh, make no mistakes about it, he was great. And in that greatness, he felt that he deserved to have those positions. And that that quest for honor, that jealousy for the honor that somebody else had, that was a crack in his personal attributes. That was a flaw. All right, a flaw. No. No, no, no. Chidush Arim says, no, no, no. When you look at this parasha, it better smack you in the face of what it means to have a flaw in your personality. Because the great Kairach does not just get into an argument with Moshe. But he ends up going all the way to denying the legitimacy of Moshe's prophecies. And ultimately, the 250 men die and Korach and his family descend into a pit. The ground opens up and Moshe warns them. Moshe warns them. Stop, stop, stop. It's going to end poorly for you. Korach doesn't pull the brakes. He goes all the way until he descends into the abyss. Him, all his belongings. Everyone who's with him dies. Says the Chedush Arim. Wake up, Jews of Memphis, wake up! Look what it means when you have a flawed character trait. Look what it does to a person. It can utterly destroy a person, Mikol Vakol, from everything. And not just a simple little person. The Nesiva Shalom tells us, if you read the Psokim, it goes out of the way to stress how great Moshe was, how great the people were with him. Isn't it strange? You're, you're, you have a scenario here where they're doing horrific, a horrific mistake. And, and there you are complimenting them. Ah, you should know, these are the best guys. Nesiva Shalom says, No. It's trying to highlight for us that you should realize even these great individuals, a flaw in their character, a lack of the correct midos, the inner workings and emotions, the personality inside of them, when that was not aligned with the Torah, when that was not perfected to the point that it was supposed to for them on their level, it wreaked havoc and utterly destroyed them. Yes, they were great. It's making note that they were great because all of that greatness didn't help them. 
even though they were that great, the flaw, the crack in the foundation crumbled them. Staggering. Staggering. Sobering. Siv Shalom. Chidusharim. Supposed to be sobering. Because these flaws that are expressed in this parsha, the Nesiva Shalom says, we all need to take note of them. Because these are core flaws, core challenges and struggles within our personality that every one of us is going to have to wrestle with. What are they? They are the three that are expressed in the Mishnah and Pirka Avais. Kina, Taiva, Kavoid, Moitzin as Adam Minha Oilam. Kina, jealousy, Taiva, desire, covered honor, seeking honor. These three things jealousy, desire, honor they take a person out of this world. They take a person out of this world. And says the Nesiva Shalom, the challenge of these three is so fundamental to a person that look where it comes up. You'll notice, firstly, in the stories that we've had recently, we've seen it play out with the Jews in the desert. Now with Korach, we have basically all three converging in one moment. All three of them, the jealousy of his cousins that Korach had, the desire for their honor, and covered seeking that position of honor, that that ultimately destroyed him, but says in the Sea of Hashem, greater. These three have been around since the very beginning. What are the sins that we see right away in the beginning of the Torah? Cain and Hevel. Cain killed Hevel. Why? He's jealous of him that his sacrifices were accepted. The generation of the flood. We know that they used to steal from each other. And other acts of immorality. Desire. They were struggling with desire. And then afterwards, we have Migdal Babel, where they built a tower to wage war with God. Why? Honor. They wanted to be gods. They didn't want Hashem to run the show. Honor. Jealousy, desire, honor, right there from the very beginning of time, says the Nesiva Shalom, because these three challenges are a fundamental part of every person and every one of us needs to wrestle with this dragon. And every one of us needs to rise and grow in these three areas. So, we've got a challenge laid out in front of us. The Nesiva Shalom even brings out that we shouldn't just think that this is a spiritual challenge. That, oh, I want to be a good Jew, so I need to battle back on these three fronts. That's certainly true. But what did the Mishnah say? That these three, jealousy, desire, and seeking honor, take a person out of this world, out of the world. The Nesiva Shalom brings a Yaivetz. And the Yaivetz says, it doesn't just mean from the world to come, the world of reward. It doesn't just destroy our spirituality. But it takes us out of this world. It destroys our life. His golden words are Begimel Dvarim Elu with these three flawed character traits. Chayov Enai Chayim. A person's life is not a life. If we go around and we're looking and yearning for everything somebody else has and we can't enjoy anything in our own life, if we always need more and more luxuries, we're desiring, we're desiring an endless appetite, if we need honor, if we need to be noticed, if we need the accolades, and there's that hole inside of us constantly looking for it, life is not life. We're not really living. That's not true living. And therefore, 
this parasha is meant to wake us up and to say, all right, Jews, Heilige Jews of Memphis or wherever you are, it's time to get to work. These are the three that you see in the parasha because Hashem wants us to know about it. And it's more than a life's work to perfect any attribute. It really is more than a life's work. But we're never asked to do more than we can. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about growing every single day in these areas. It's about believing that although we may not get it perfect, every step forward that we take in these areas transforms our life. Both the quality of our life in this world and our ability to be spiritual, growing Jews. That these are destructive forces. We need to view them as poison. Look at Kairach. Read the parsha. Watch him descend into the abyss, into oblivion. And say, Oy vey, I don't want that to happen to me. Maybe a, maybe a hole won't open in the ground and we won't descend. But little holes. Little holes in our life. Certainly. Places where we lose our enjoyment in living and lose our spiritual continued growth. We end up off course because we're driven by these three things. Now, that's a pretty bad way to start after just getting thanked for joy and optimism, huh? But the truth is, I'm very joyous about this and very optimistic about this. So there you go. It was worth the sponsorship. And I will tell you why. That there was Rebbe Chatzko Levenstein, who was a mashkiach. It was said about him that when he used to locate and identify a bad character trait in himself, they used to see him filled with tremendous joy. Why? Tremendous joy. Not from solving it, just from finding it. And why? It's because the whole point of life is to develop ourselves, is to grow. The worst thing that can happen is when we don't notice what we need to grow in. We don't see a flaw inside of ourselves. That's the worst because then we can't do anything. Having flaws, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Having flaws is not the problem. Hashem did that. What we do with them, that's the gold. That's where everything lights up. Having problems is not the problem. Not seeing the problems is a big problem because then you can't do anything. When he used to find them, he used to say, all right, now I got them in my crosshairs. Now their days are numbered. Now we're going to get the gold. Now we're going to see progress. And that's why I am very excited about this class. Because although I am talking about three flaws that we have, to identify them, to notice them, and to try and develop a strategy and thoughts that can help us battle them back is the most joyous thing in life. That is what life's about. If that doesn't make us sing, then we don't understand what we're here for. So, let's get ready to rumble. Alright? <clears throat> We've got three things. And we're going to try and see if we can comment on all three. Gaiva, ego, envy, kina, and desire, which will have to do with honor as well. But of course, ego and honor are deeply connected. Ego and jealousy are deeply connected. And even ego and desire are deep, deeply connected. So we will start with ego, and we will try and give that the most airtime, because that is really a big part of the core of all of these challenges. All right, I hope we all brought our army fatigues. Maybe you're still wearing them from last week. This is the military, folks. 
blast the music, and get on the front lines. Let's talk about Gaiva. Most of what I'm going to share with you today is from the great Sefer, the Mesil Yasharim. Some of you are learning it with my wife on Wednesday nights. Some of you perhaps are reading it on your own time. You've certainly heard me say that it should be learned many, many, many times. And I'm going to say it again. If you don't own this book, you should get it. If you haven't read this book, you should read it. I'm giving you little, little drops of his great wisdom. But it's worth reading this book again and again and again throughout our lives. Handbook for Growth. <clears throat> okay. Let's talk about ego, gaiva, haughtiness. Because really what we have in the parasha is essentially a showdown of Korah who got caught in that haughtiness, in that seeking honor, versus Moshe, who's the humblest of all men. This is the parsha that shows us the contrast. This is the time to wage the war. A lot of us think we are not egotistical, we are not haughty. A lot of us fail that the guy out there who is disgusting in the way they seek honor, that's the guy with ego. And the way they always need the accolade, oh, that's I, I'm just a regular person. In truth, the truth is that this trait is very insidious and it's very easy to think that we don't have it. But really, the Yoshidivramas tells us that it's a parable. Ego is something you have your whole life, you don't even notice it. He says a parable. A guy's in the car, obviously he gives it with a wagon. You're in the car, somebody's driving, and you're on a flat road. You fall asleep in the back, and they drive up a mountain, and then it plateaus at the top. You wake up, and there you are, now thousands of feet up in the air, on a flat surface, plain. And you think, we're still on the flat road, just down there, at whatever sea level. You know, just a few feet above sea level, that's where, we're, that's where I fell asleep. You think that's where you are. And the driver says, you know, we're on a mountain. I say, what? We're not on a mountain. It's just flat everywhere. I look out the window, it's flat. Until he starts driving down the mountain. And then you say, whoa, we were on a mountain. I didn't even notice. From up there I couldn't see. As I begin to descend, I realize. The Yosha Devrama says it's the same thing with ego haughtiness. We don't necessarily notice where it has taken root inside of us until we begin to work on it and become a little bit more humble and then we see by contrast what we used to think about ourselves. What do we think about ourselves? The Mesilas Yisharim defines haughtiness in a certain sense in one line. Ubilvavoy in his heart yedame kiloi nova sihilo. In the person's heart they believe that they are befitting of praise. That gaiva means I am the great and mighty me. I deserve praise. Are people noticing me? Do people realize how special I am? Do people realize perhaps that the world somewhat revolves around me? I am truly deserving of praise and accolades. Before we get into this and demonstrate where it is in our life, I want to make a very important note. Ego is not the same as self-esteem. We are not looking to belittle our self and our self-worth. Every person is incredible and endowed with tremendous capabilities from Hashem. Unbelievable abilities. 
we're going to see as we discuss what it means to be humble instead of being arrogant, that we're not talking about being blind to the greatness that you have inside of you. We're talking about developing the right attitude towards that greatness and the right attitude towards your total self. And we'll see as we play that out. But heaven forbid, this is not about feeling that you are worthless. That's not humility. That's foolishness. That's just not knowing the truth. And it's worth noting a line by Yerucham Lubavitz who said, Oy vey, for somebody who does not know their flaws, because they don't know then what to fix about themselves. But even worse than not knowing your flaws is to not know your greatness because then you don't know what your mission is in this world. You don't know what to do. Not knowing what to fix is bad. But if we don't know our greatness, then we don't realize that we have a mission of greatness to accomplish in this world. So we must know our greatness. This is not to say we don't know our greatness. In fact, the very fact that we're talking about how to change our personality, which the Mesilas Yishorim says, that changing one's personality is the greatest accomplishment in the world. And he quotes a Mishnah, Ezehu Gibor, who is truly mighty, one who conquers their inclination. The Mesut Hashem says that is referring to changing and altering part of your inner personality. That that is the toughest challenge of all. And therefore, if we're having this conversation about how we're going to do that, that itself is testimony to the greatness of the individual. That we are great enough to change. Peace, male. One step at a time. One foot in front of another. One day after the next. But true, absolute, transformative change is within our reach. We are that great and mighty. So let us not, heaven forbid, feel that humility means seeing ourselves as worthless. No. Let's talk about what it is and where we see haughtiness come into our life. <clears throat> I'm not sure if I'm quoting my father correctly, but I think my father once said that he actually believes that the reason why everyone struggles with haughtiness is actually rooted in the fact that we, we do have a recognition of the greatness of ourselves. And it's that recognition of how great we are, like we just spoke about, that gets distorted and then becomes incorrect haughtiness. But the truth of our greatness is true. But how to view it? So first, the Messiah Sharm goes through several examples of how you can see haughtiness play out in life. Some of those examples, though, are of the type that are a little bit more extreme and I'm afraid that we're going to say, uh, it's exactly what I thought. It's not talking about me. I'm going to leave all those out. Again, all these topics are bigger than we could possibly cover totally in this class. But let's begin. Let's get some of this into our bones. But then the Messiah Susharm says, a final example of haughtiness. And unfortunately, this one resonated too much with me. So, being subject to this challenge, I think I'm allowed to share it. I think we all will connect with this. And he says as follows, there are people who don't go out and look for positions of honor. They're not looking for the accolades. They don't demand honor from everybody and they don't act as if they're egotistical. However, it's buried in their heart and they believe that they are the wisest person. And they believe 
that people who disagree with them are wrong. And in fact, even if they can't explain it to that other individual why they're wrong, it's just because they're so wise and the other person is not even capable of comprehending how right they are. (laughs) Sounds... um, It certainly always sounds like somebody we know, right? Maybe if we're honest enough, it'll even sound like ourselves. Everything goes by the way they perceive the world. Anyone who disagrees is wrong. Anybody who doesn't understand them is wrong. We may notice this in our discussions with friends, spouses, family. We may notice this in the way we feel about a thought that comes from an earlier generation. Somebody that's supposedly should be greater than us. And how quickly we dismiss their opinion, their approach. We may notice this just in the way we go through life which is with the honest assumption. I believe I'm not crazy here. So I believe what I'm saying is accurate. And most of us have just an honest-to-goodness assumption that whatever we are thinking is correct. (laughs) So Mazel Tov, if that describes you in any way, if you get flustered when somebody argues with you. If you can't admit when something seems to prove you wrong, Mazel Tov, you are part of the club of people that have haughtiness inside of you. And although that sounds so bad you'd never want to admit it, that's not the right attitude. This is part of mankind. This is who we are. Now let's do something about it. So what can we do? It's true. I hate to say this. Even if you disagreed with everything I said until now, the honest truth is that every one of us 100% guaranteed has haughtiness in them, has some level of egotism in them. It has not been eradicated completely. It is still there and it is horrifically dangerous in the way that it doesn't allow us to align ourselves with truth. It doesn't allow us to admit to that which is right. It doesn't allow us to do that which is right because we're always worried about me, about the way I look, about the way I will come out, about the way I will feel about myself. Will I be on top? Will I be right? Will people recognize me as great or as weak? And unfortunately, this influences so much. What can we do about it? So let's discuss. The first idea I'd like to share from the Mesil Zisharim is so, so simple. So, so simple. You ready? I've said this for many, many years that if we weren't all suffering from ego, somebody who had ego would be locked up in a hospital for being clinically insane. Really. The only reason we don't do that is because we're all equally as insane. What do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you the following question. If in every discussion you always assume you're right, okay, Well, then let me ask you, what about previous experience? Let's be scientific about this. How many times have you been wrong? Every one of us, if we're honest, will realize that so many times we were wrong. And you know what was crazy about every time we were wrong? Most of the time, we were just as confident that we were right as we are today in this discussion. But yet, time and time again, 
That confidence proved itself incorrect and not an accurate gauge. And we were, in fact, wrong. Science should tell you, logic should tell you that if that confidence keeps being proven incorrect, then the next time you feel it, you should disregard it and you should feel, hey, statistics, it's very likely I'm wrong. Why don't we? Because we're crazy. Yes, we're crazy. In the words of the Mesilas Yesharim, and I'll read it in English, haughtiness is nothing but sheer blindness to reality, in which a person's intellect does not perceive his deficiencies or recognize his inadequacy. For if a person could see things as they are and he would recognize the truth, he would abandon and maintain a great distance from all these evil and perverse ways. All of this ego. Says the Messiah Yesharim, and I'm calling this tactic number one on the most basic level. Let's be honest. And like we discussed last week, it's not going to be about saying it once, but it's about bringing your mind back again and again because we are crazy. And in that sense, I mean the flaws in our personality, the ego that's there, does exactly what the Messiah Sharm says. It turns a blind eye to all the mistakes we make, to all the times we were wrong, to all of our failings, all of our flaws, and it only sees tunnel vision every time we were right and everything good about us. But we have a choice to tell our personality, which is right now operating in a chaotic, free-for-all way, we have by the power of our mind to grab back the reins and gain control of our life. And that is by telling ourselves, stop ignoring your faults. Stop pretending you're perfect. Shuki, you know how many times you were wrong. Shuki, you know how many bad attributes you have. You know how many struggles you have. Stop pretending you are perfect. Stop pretending you're always right. Again, it's not think of yourself as dirt, but think honestly. Stop lying. Be honest, truthful with who you really are. Stop living in this illusion, deluding yourself. So, unbelievable secret number one. Know that we are lying to ourselves and know that we can assert the truth into our personality. Again and again, remember, the tactics need to be applied like we said them last week. They still need to be bridged from the brain to the heart, from the intellect into the emotions. Repeating, repeating, repeating. Bringing ourselves back to that truth again and again. But if we do that, we're going to feel an unbelievable recalibration in the way we see ourselves. And really, that recalibrates the way we see everyone. <clears throat> because when you think you're the greatest, then everyone else is inferior. Can't all be tied for first place. If you're the greatest, then everyone else is less great. But when we start to put ourselves in the right place, where we see our faults along with our attributes, we see the balanced picture of who we are, then we're also able to see all of that greatness in those other people, the greatness that we don't have. And we see them for their greatness, and we see ourselves for ours, and we recognize our limitations. It's so simple. It's almost humorous because the Messiah Shasharim brings up humility way later because he says to have true humility is actually a very, very lofty goal and comes much, much higher up the ladder. But right in the beginning of the Sefer, in Nikias, he talks about getting rid of haughtiness. So you got both sides. Not being delusional is within reach. Being totally, totally humble is maybe a very high level of that but we begin on that journey from something that's within reach. But over there, in humility, he actually writes. He goes through certain attitudes towards humility and then he gets at the end, 
But everything I just said, those strategies, those are for great people. He says, but for people like us, orphans of orphans, we don't need that. We just need to open our eyes to who we really are. And that's what he writes. He said, what are we? We're so small compared to the people that came before us. We're so feeble. Our intellect is so weak compared to the greats of previous generations and even some of the greats in our generation. He said, if we just recognize that, we would certainly feel the correct attitude towards ourselves. And this is obvious, he says. So, a little bit of honesty goes a long way. Sometimes it's worth imagining yourself in front of one of those people how you, that you admire so much. And imagine for a moment, like we spoke last week, using your imagination to make a feeling vivid so that it goes into your bones is how you acquire that change. And one of the tricks you could do is to imagine yourself There you are, strutting about, so confident, so smart, so cool. You got such swagger. Imagine yourself standing in front of one of the giants that you admire. Maybe one of the great Torah scholars. Somebody who's heroic to you. Imagine how you would feel. And remember that all that did is it put you back into your honest self. What would you feel? So, so humble. If you were standing in front of the giants, of Moshe Feinstein, he would ask you your opinion. The exact opinion that you're fighting with your friend about, your spouse about, your child about, that exact opinion that you're so confident about. Now imagine Rav Moshe Feinstein coming to you. The Chavetz Chaim coming to you. Imagine these people coming to you and saying, oh, what's your opinion on this? You'd be like, um, uh, 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 what's your opinion? <laughs> oh, all of a sudden you found your humility. That's correct. We can make that a focus in our life to remember that and to make it a part of the way we see ourselves so that we're not lying. Let's not see half the picture. Let's see the whole picture. And let's remember who we really are and where we're weak. That's part of tactic number one. But we've also got a lot of wonderful qualities. So let's talk about those for a second. Not everyone is just bad qualities, not at all. So what if I really am the smartest guy? What if I really am the most brilliant? What if I am the most enjoyable to be around, the most popular? So good. So I acknowledge my faults. But look, I've got so much good. That goes to my head. Absolutely. The Messias Risham says, by the way, if you notice yourself with a great attribute, a skill of some sort, you should know you're in danger. It is very easy for that to go to your head. Again, it's a danger because you could have those attributes and not be haughty. How? Says the Messiah Sharim, again, there's much here. I'm just taking a few points. One point he says is that many of the skills we have, many of the great attributes we have, we did nothing to get them. We just had them naturally. So we got to ask ourselves, what on earth are we taking so much credit for? Well, I, I am the most brilliant. I'm the best speaker. I tell the best jokes. I cook the best. Ask yourself, how much of that was you and how much of that, that was just natural? In which case, do you think a bird should be haughty that they can fly? It's just natural. Does a spider brag because it can spin a web and you can't? Mentally, Do you think of the greatness of a spider in that way? No, it's natural. That's what it does. So many of our own attributes are not our doing. 
So let's acknowledge them. But then why do we take credit, like he said, and say, I deserve praise? You deserve praise. It wasn't you. In fact, says the Mesila Susharim, that that which you have in your life was given to you to do something with. If Hashem gave it to you, it means it's part of your mission in this world. So far be it from being, far from becoming haughty from your knowledge, you recognize it as, wow, why did Hashem give me knowledge? It must be I'm tasked with teaching. It's my job description. It's not that which makes me full of myself. It's that which points me in the direction of where I'm supposed to work for Hashem. I didn't do anything to create it. Hashem gave it to me. But that's the path I'm supposed to take. And he gives a parable. He says, To what can this be compared? To the servants of a house, each of whom is appointed to a particular role. So it is proper for him to remain at his post according to his assignment so that together they will be able to complete all the chores of the house and supply all its needs. And since each servant is merely executing his appointed task, there truly is no place for haughtiness here. So too must each person view his own talents or circumstances as indicative of the role he is called upon to play and the responsibility he has been appointed to execute in this world. By utilizing his, his abilities, he is merely executing Hashem's plan. So, instead of it being something that we take that credit for, we realize it as a charge, as a mission, a direction, and a directive to move forward. And in fact, he writes in Shara Nova that when you realize they come from Hashem, wow, you were just given a gift. What did you do for it? Nothing. You were born... You were born with these capabilities and now you're walking around. <laughs> it should humble us. Hashem chose us to give us these great gifts. Like if you've got the biggest present in the world, it makes you feel humble and then charged with a mission and the recognition like he says that every one of us, the person who has that intellect and the person who does not, they both have the same equal connection that Hashem is the one who apportioned them their lot. They are both natural recipients of what Hashem wants them to do in the world. There's really no difference. There's no difference in hierarchy, loftiness, or who should get more credit. Just people that were created by Hashem for each of them in their own respect their personal lofty purpose. Unbelievable way of thinking that our attributes are not ours to call our own. Again, you got to say these, think these, repeat, refocus, repeat, refocus. It'll keep welling up inside the distorted way to see ourselves, but the more we bring ourselves back into the correct perspective, the more that will take root in us and we will begin to see ourselves differently. And honestly, that will be the most freeing experience ever because haughtiness, ego, is one of the most crippling attributes we have that cut us off from growth, connection, and happiness. And the more we can realign ourselves with the truth about ourselves, then the more we could truly be free to be great Jews. And in fact, it's often what caused us to be crippled when we fail. Because like as my grandfather said, we feel about ourselves, the great and mighty me has fallen. Oh no, the great and mighty me has fallen. When you think about yourself as the great and mighty you and you fall, it's hard to get back up. But when we have a realistic perspective of ourselves, of our greatness and the credit 
to Hashem for giving us that, the gift that Hashem gives us, the mission that He charged us with, and the smallness of who we really are, then falling is okay. And getting back up is a great opportunity that we have. So it truly sets us free in so many areas in life, in our relationships, and in our growth. Worth noting, oh man, we are running out of time. Worth noting how the great people in our lives were so humble. I'll just tell you one setting. I remember in yeshiva, people were upset. They decided to do report cards. And we were older at that point. They were doing report cards to tell us how many days we missed. And there was an uproar. People didn't like it. To be honest, Why didn't people like it? You're treating us like babies. In other words, ego. It's true. But there was an uproar. And I remember they called us to a meeting. The heads of the yeshiva, the Russian yeshiva, called us to a meeting. And in that meeting, I can't forget the words that they said to the entire yeshiva. They said, heaven forbid, we're not trying to treat you immaturely. We merely believe that letting you know how many times you miss will help you grow. And then they said these words, you should know that we view ourselves as your servants. We view ourselves as people who work for you, the students. And we only did this because we thought it would be beneficial to you. And those words, they went right into my heart. Here you had these great Torah scholars, heads of our yeshiva, And they turned to the students and they said, we view ourselves as your servants. That's humility. That's the ability to see yourself, even in your role as a leader, as humble and smaller than those that you help. Okay, I'm going to see what we could get done. Let me give one very practical piece of advice. We've had the two things that we can focus on to gain humility. To realize we're lying to ourselves most of the time and to begin to open our eyes and recognize our shortcomings. To be honest. Secondly, to notice our greatness and our attributes but give credit where it belongs which is to Hashem. And to feel humbled and entrusted with those attributes to go do something with them. Now, here's a practical one. And the Mesut Sharm says that humility is really such a challenge. And I'm telling you, it's a life's goal. It's not like walk out of this class, boom, we get it. It's a life's work. And he even writes that humility is something that a person has to face all the way till the end of their life. He says that in fact, sometimes it's extremely hard to eradicate and therefore he says, start with the following piece of advice because it's something that is much more accessible. And that is the way we behave. He says, act with humility. Don't push to get the seat up front. Don't demand the honor and accolades. Figure out how to bring humility into your life, at least externally, and then, and this is one of the great secrets that he tells us, that will make it go deeper into our hearts. So one unbelievable tactic is Act humbly. And I would like to suggest one of the greatest ways that you can do this, which will do both many tactics all at once. And that is the following. Think about others as great. Constantly think and check the way you view others. The more you see and repeat to yourself how great other people are, the more that will put you in the correct position and humility vis-a-vis everyone else. So I say this tactic is as follows. Make sure and constantly when you view people and see people, see the positive. Force yourself to see and notice the positive and treat them with that respect that they deserve. And even if you don't feel it yet, this will make it go deeper and deeper into the way you see others and ultimately that bounces back and impacts the way we see ourselves in a more appropriate life. 
Okay? There's a story here, but I can't say it because we don't have time. Okay? But I'll tell you that there was a certain Rebbe who would not go out to start his tish. It's a bigger story, but I'm just telling you one point. He would not go out to start his tish, which is that that meal where they would have all those hundreds or thousands of chassidim there. He would not go out until he could see how everyone in the room was greater than himself in at least something. Okay? So we have to have the ability, and the more we train, we could train ourselves in this practice. Okay. We'll go on to envy, and because we're out of time, we'll understand that honor is very much connected with all the ego that we just spoke about. I wasn't going to add so much for honor. Honor is certainly very much connected to that ego. And that's desire. Although desire also has to do with luxuries in the world. The Messiah Sharm says desire for honor is as well. So, we have taiva and kavod. Desire and honor, those stem from ego. We want the honor. We think of ourselves as that great. In fact, the Messiah Sharm says even the desire for luxuries really comes from ego. Because imagine, very briefly, we'll just say, if you had the nicest house in the world, if right now everyone else had a lesser quality house than yours, wouldn't you be so happy with your house? Yes. So why are you not happy? Because there exists in the world. Somebody else has a nicer one. So is that desire or really ego? Most of desire is really ego. We'll leave it at that for now due to time. I want to talk about jealousy for one second. Okay? Because we can attack jealousy. The Mrs. Jerusalem tells us with two very, very powerful points. Okay? Obviously, if we get rid of ego, that will have a tremendous impact on our jealousy. But sometimes we just want what the other person has. And we're not happy when they have it. Kairach certainly displayed jealousy. He certainly displayed jealousy. What's the response? He said, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't give me the position I should get. The Messiah Zosham says two things we got to remember to get rid of jealousy. One, here's the words. It's a line in the Gemara. Nobody can encroach on that which has been prepared for his fellow by even a hair's breadth that God gives out everything exact and perfect. And everything that person has, no, they took nothing from you. It's impossible. You have everything that Hashem wants you to have. And even if somebody opened a business right across the street from you, and it looks like they took all your customers, they didn't. And even if they took your friends from you, and even if they're so popular and that makes you feel less popular, they're so beautiful, that makes you feel uh, more ugly. Don't be jealous in the sense that they're ruining your life. Nobody can take anything from you. That's fact number one to review and review and review to get rid of jealousy. Kairach, he was great, he was great, he was great, but there was a chip, a crack, and somewhere deep down in all of his greatness, he didn't have it as crystallized that Moshe Rabbeinu can't take what Kairach deserves. And nobody took anything from Kairach. Had he realized that? A hundred percent? What's there to be jealous of? But the second and more important point is that that which you have is exactly what Hashem decided in His infinite wisdom is perfect for you to have. Every one of us has in our lives our background, our circumstance, our wealth, our intelligence, our upbringing, our schooling, our religious exposure, every detail, everything. It's all from Hashem and it is perfect. It was not supposed to be different. 
You don't want it different. You think you want it different. You don't want it different. If you had the ability to see, if we could see what Hashem knows, we would ask for life exactly the way it is. This is profound. This is totally necessary to get that jealousy out of us. Hashem controls the world and He controls it perfectly. Exactly who likes you and who doesn't. Exactly who buys from you and who doesn't. Exactly what influence you have, what capabilities you have, what skills you have, what opportunities you have. They are not impacted by anybody but God. And God orchestrated that perfectly for exactly what's perfect for your role in life. If you could switch with somebody else, you would ruin your own life. Why would you be jealous of something that would ruin your own life? Jealousy, therefore, needs to be put to rest because it comes from a flawed perspective that life is random and that what we have is imperfect. And therefore, says the Messiah Zesharim, when we readjust, we get rid of jealousy. Like we say every morning, there's a bracha. She'osali kol tzarki. God, you gave me everything I need. She'osali kol tzarki. You, get, you say a blessing every morning. Now let's say it. Like we mean it. You gave me everything I need. I don't need anything else. And if Miles Biederman said actually, that we connect that blessing, that bracha, to the fact that we have shoes. What? Because we have shoes. It says everything. He says, no. It's a parable. Understand. Everything in life is like your pair of shoes. Okay? This is what you'll say you heard from Abinisan. Everything comes down to your shoes. Why? He said, because imagine you go to the store and you say, uh, can I have a size? Okay, I'm in men's size. Can I have a size 11? Can I have a size 6? And women's size, either way. Can I have a size 11? And the guy says, Now you, Rabbi Nisan, you're so great, i got to give you a size 13. Size 13? No, I need a size 11. No, 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 no. For you, a size 13. The guy before got a size 13, you shouldn't get any less than him. I say, hey, I'm a size 11. Don't give me a size 13. I'll be, I'll be tripping over, over myself on the way out the store. I need a size 11. Not a 10, not a 12. 11, that's my size. He says, exactly. That's the connection between your shoes and the bracha. Thank you, Hashem, you've given me all my needs. All my needs, exactly my size. Any less won't fit. Any more won't fit. Everything you've given me is perfect for my purpose in this world. So, Kairach tells us, reminds us, Kina Taiva covered jealousy, honor, ego, and desire. They destroy our life and our spirituality. The Mesilah Sisharim tells us, but we can fight back. We must fight back. And we can. With this thinking, let's get our sights back accurate to notice what our limitations are. To notice the great gift of the goodness Hashem has given us and to realize that that was for a purpose and let's go out there and live that purpose with humility. And let's not care what somebody else has because it's irrelevant to us and to our purpose in life. And what we have is perfect for us and for what we are meant to do. And therefore we are all truly equally great by the graciousness of God and humble because all we have is from the graciousness of God. And I end with this thought. Says the Chidush Arim, if you see from our parsha how much destruction a bad attribute can cause, he says, know that positivity is much more powerful and that for a good attribute that you have and that you acquire, it can bring so, so much goodness into your life and into the world. 
And here we stand. We see the calling. And now we're taking up the task to begin to change our attributes. Let us remember that every inch that we grow and acquire a good attribute, a better Mida, a little bit less crooked, we should know that we've tapped into a power that is so, so great we cannot imagine, that we are truly superhuman at those moments. Like the Messiah Zasharm said, who is truly mighty? It is one who conquers their natural inclinations. May we all have the strength to go at this with such joy and celebration. This is our lofty task. And we know that when we go at it, Hashem stands at our side and helps us. May we all be able to witness Hashem there rooting for us and helping us to accomplish all of the greatness that we set out to achieve.